Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Soft Spot. And so much for the news from abroad. Here in Los Angeles, two persons were killed and eight injured today in three separate automobile accidents attributed directly to the thick fog that has blanketed the city ever since yesterday morning. Mm. And according to the Weather Bureau, the fog which is rolling in from the sea will be with us for... Smug, smug, everything's cockeyed. Hello. Philip Marlowe, please. Earl Hanley speaking. This is Marlowe. How are you, Mr. Hanley? How's the newspaper circulation business? Oh, full zooming, Philip. Oh, uh, look, Marlowe. Can you come out to my joint on Las Feliz Boulevard, 3810? I'd like you to work for me again. And, uh, you write your own ticket as usual. Uh, no, no, thanks. They play too rough in your league, Hanley. <laughs> Besides, it's a bum night to ride around in a cold newspaper truck watching out for hijackers. No, 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 Marlo, it's nothing like that. This is personal business. Oh? Yeah, it's an old man who's disappeared. I'd like you to find him for me. Still a dark night. Double your fee. I see a light, Mr. Hanley. <laughs> Outside, the city was wrapped up tight in the kind of wet, ceiling zero fog that leaves you feeling damp and all alone. Hanley's joint on Los Feliz was an old English stone mansion. Sprawling, smothered in ivy, and about as cozy and come hither as a scream in the night. Inside, I followed an aging, round-shouldered butler whose footsteps didn't make any noise along the type of high, wide, nice, cold, furnished corridor you find only in museums. When we finally arrived at Hanley's study, however, things changed. It was a small room with bright lights, heat, and a desk cluttered with friendly bric-a-brac. Hanley himself was standing against the far wall, and for a moment, the contrast was jarring because the self-made man in shirt sleeves built like a boxcar and chewing on a cold cigar didn't at all match the collection of stiff family photos, 1890-style, that hung on the wall behind him. Yeah, what is it, Marlo? Hard to find the family resemblance? From here... Your folks, Mr. Hanley? Yeah. Oh. And left to right. Uh, my mother, she passed on a year ago. Oh. He's a kid. My father, a lush, and uh, my grandfather. <laughs> he claimed to have killed more Indians than ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> All born and raised and a lot of nothing. They walked <coughs> a fall. <laughs> Couldn't hold you, huh? Uh-uh. Couldn't bring me back either, even when Ma died. Yeah, I was only a little tech when I ran away, Mono. Couldn't stand my grandfather even then. Nothing but a rod and a bottle. Bad combo. How about your father? Oh, I wrote a few nice words to him when sister wrote me that Ma died. And I sent a fat check for flowers and a tombstone, but he never answered. Mm -hmm. Probably drank the dough up. He never could save a buck in his own, they tell me. Anyhow, enough of letting our hair down on Marlon. Let's get on to business. Sit down. Oh, thanks, sure. You, uh, you said someone disappeared, Mr. Hanley, an old man? (sighs) Yeah. It was a gardener here, Marlow. Name's Cooper, John Cooper. He's 60, 65 maybe, tall and skinny. <laughs> yeah, he got a fringe of curly hair around his ears. The rest is strictly cue ball. Yeah, he shoved off yesterday. With what, Hanley? Uh, with... 
<laughs> yeah, you catch on fast, Phil. Yeah, you know, it's my trade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the stuff don't amount to too much. Uh, half a dozen fancy silver drinking glasses, those... Uh, goblets? No, uh, goblets, yeah, yeah goblets. Uh, worth about a hundred apiece, nothing that'll dent me. Also, I'm insured, of course. Well, then the goblets mean something else. They do. Um, let's call them a present from a lady. All right, let's. <laughs> <laughs> I want them back, Marlon. Why me? Why not the insurance company or the law? No. Hmm? No, that I don't want. <sighs> and if you laugh when I tell you the reason, I'm going to punch you right square in the nose. Uh, have some scotch. No, thanks. Go ahead. Well, drink alone, then, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Mm -hmm. hey, it's this old Duck Cooper, you know. I feel sorry for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he came in here one day last week, hat in hand, looking beat as an alley cat. So I gave him a job helping one of the gardeners, but uh, I was on to him right from the start. What does that mean? He was a gardener like I'm a ballet dancer. Oh. Yeah, I could tell. And from there on, it got worse. First couple of days, he watched me and everybody else around here pop out as a shoplifter loose in Tiffany's. But you didn't fire him? No, no. Now I figured a few square meals, some sleep, a little dough in his pocket, he'd calm him down. So I just put a new master padlock in my trophy room and let it go with it. That was your mistake, huh? Yeah. But uh, just so you don't think I'm losing my marbles, Phil, I better tell you about another mistake. But I'm uh, going to have to make this short dinner guest shit out. Another mistake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 15 years ago, Phil, I was in a spot just like this Cooper. Yeah, I was broke, hungry, mad at the world, and in a position to do the wrong thing. I did, and I got caught. But the boss understood, read me the riot act, and let me go. Right, today it's my turn. Want to laugh? Not very much. Tell me, what have you got for me to go on? Well, thin air. Ah, but you're good, Marla. You'll make out. The name and description I already gave you that. Mm -hmm. All right, here's the rest of it, according to the servants. One, they lived somewhere around Skid Row. Mm -hmm. Two, he never touched anything that kicked harder than ginger ale. And uh, that he went for in a big way. Three, he had a buddy in his neighborhood who was teaching him how to whittle. Uh, you know, make stuff, carving wood. Yeah, I know. And that's it, huh? Well, that, plus the fact that he smoked these pint-sized cigars, we found a pack of them in the overalls of one. Here they are. Mm -hmm. They're called Aces Up, made in a downtown L.A. shop, also on Skid Row. Oh, the address is in the box there. Could help. Could. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> see what I can do, Mr. Hanley. Okay, Marlowe. Call me as soon as you get close, will you? Sure. Oh, and, uh, Marlowe. Yeah? I, uh, I want those goblets pretty bad, uh, but, uh... Uh, take care of the old man, will you? I know what you mean. Yeah. Also, Hanley, I think it's a pretty decent thing that yeah, you... Yeah, yeah, you'll have to excuse me, Mallow. i got to change for my guess. I'll uh, talk to you, huh? I followed Hanley back along the museum corridor past the guests who included a spy beautiful lady dressed in too much black, chatting with a crisp item in banker's gray flannel who looked like he'd been born holding an hors d'oeuvre. I didn't see how they could have much in common with their host. But when the big front door is closed behind me, I forgot about them and concentrated on finding a needle in a haystack. Uh, a needle in a haystack and a fog yet. Well, the tobacco manufacturer responsible for the handmade black rope called Aces Up was my first try. His shop was a two-by-four dirty glass storefront labeled H. Andrade in dry, peeling gold foil that flaked off when I opened and closed the front door. 
and what had to be the proprietor was alone, rolling cigars on a rickety table that was stacked high with damp, dark tobacco leaves. He didn't look up when I described the man I was after. Bastard if he'd seen him. A moment later, when he did turn his head my way to answer, I realized why. I am sorry, senor. I don't see nobody. I am blind. Fine start, huh? And for some cockeyed reason, like the fog or the kind of man I was after or the neighborhood of derelicts I moved through, which could have used a few sprays of sweet air, didn't get any better. Not at least for the next hour, during which I stuck to the wood carving angle and covered every possible tie-in I could think of. Including a visit to a nearby home for retired men of the sea. Looking for someone who's teaching a man to whittle. That's right. He's teaching an old man named John Cooper. Ever hear of him? No, can't say I have. But lots of lads here whittle. Why don't you have a chat with them? Okay, I In will. the morning. They're all bedded down now, mate. Wouldn't want to pipe them out over a silly question like yours, would you? Uh, no. No, Skipper. Let him sleep. <laughs> Right there, the whittling went the way of Aces Up Cigars, and I turned to my last hope. John Cooper's Mania for Ginger Ale. However, asking about that in the cheap, noisy bars of dotted Main Street was even a sillier question. And it gave all the local comics their big break. Finally... Straight Ginger Ale, you say, huh? Now, let me see. I get so many orders for it, you know. It could have been the time Carrie Nation stopped in, or... Uh, was it the night some joker who was eating pig's knuckles called for a finger ball? Now, look, bright eyes. Let's work a little less on the gags and a little more on... Hey, see that guy over there in the corner booth, the little fellow whittling on that stick? You know him? Come on, come on. Here's five for your trouble. Who is he? The name is Skeeter. Been doing his drinking and wood shopping here for five years. Is he always alone? Not always. Sometimes he has a buddy with him. Lately, an old ball, he's trying to teach how to cut them poles. Oh. A guy who never orders nothing at all, so don't get started. What does Skeeter drink? Skeeter? Yeah. Why, well, he always has bourbon and... Yeah. Bourbon and ginger ale. Uh-huh. The guy you want must drink Skeeter's chases, huh? That figures, thanks. Well, don't mention it, Screwball. A profitable pleasure. Only with thine eyes. Making me nervous. What is it, mister? Lose something? Sort of. John Cooper. Oh. Have you seen him, Skeeter? He told me I could get in touch with him through you here at this bar. Said you were a friend. And I am. Say, is he in trouble, mister? Maybe. What makes you ask? Because he didn't show tonight. And last night he was all out of sorts. Had something on his mind. Couldn't pay attention to the lesson I was giving him. Is it bad? No, not if I can get next to him in a hurry. Tell me, Skeeter, do you know where he, where he stays? Sure do. A rat hole over on South Spring, number two... Hey, wait. Huh? You ain't a cop, are you? Oh, no. A friend, Skeeter. Yeah? What kind of cigars does he smoke? Friend? Aces up. Do I pass? Uh-huh. It's 210 South Spring. 210 South Spring. Uh -huh. Thanks. So long, Skeeter. I'll get in touch if I need any more help. Oh! Hey. Sorry, buddy. I was in a hurry. I didn't see you. You lost up my shoeshine, sweetheart. Where are you running? Get your mitts off! I said I was sorry. What do you want? The dime you invested in the shiny, your ears slapped down into the pockets of that zoot suit. Which? Okay, okay. We'll let it go. I thought we would. So long again, Skeeter, and thanks. After I made my call to my client and told him how we stood, I drove the half a dozen blocks to 210 South Spring Street. The place was the kind of stale-smelling, beer-can-littered, dingy, two-story affair that 
made you wonder if the garbage collector got around anymore. When I knocked on the cracked glass front door that sported a laundry shirt cardboard that said rooms for rent and eyebrow pencil, I was ready for anything. And that's what I got. Puffy red eyes, bad teeth, smell of cheap gin, all in a cold cream shiny face that was half hidden by enough bleached blonde hair to stuff an ottoman. Hey, handsome, I can catch my death of cold here. What's up? You the landlady? No, she passed out. Uh, I was drinking with her, so I'll do. What do you want? An old man named John Cooper. Is he in? The skinny duffer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I seen him earlier. It's that door back there, the one on the right. Hey! Hey, jockey! What do you want back there? Where you going? What's the use? This way, mister. Hey, was that Cooper's room the fella just came out of, last on the right? Yeah, that's it. That louse probably swiped your friend's bottle. He's the kind. Mm. Ah, empty. Too bad. You know, he drinks you under the table and then takes what's left. Which in this case would be ginger ale. Cooper doesn't drink. Yeah? Oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> hey! Hey, you got company? Hey, Cooper! <laughs> Lights on. Try the knob, huh? Hey, you're kind of anxious. Yeah. What's your game, mister? <laughs> he doesn't drink, huh? What do you call that spread eagle position on the floor? Napping? No. Not with that knife in his chest. Huh? I call that murder. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, one of your favorite laugh shows and stars, My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball, will return to CBS this Saturday night. Formerly heard on Sunday nights, Lucille Ball and her favorite husband will now be heard on most of these same CBS stations every Saturday night. Be listening this Saturday when Lucille plunges that favorite husband into a mad and merry mix-up over who is the town's best or worst-dressed man. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Soft Spot. The old man's body was rumpled in death like a discarded bundle of rags, loosely pinned at the center with a knife that had killed him. And as the frowsy blonde gradually realized he was dead, the look on her face was dumb, slack-mouthed revulsion. Gee, death's an awful-looking thing, ain't it? Ain't it? Hey, don't touch him, mister. It don't seem decent to... Decency is strictly relative, sister. There's a scratch here on his neck. Like a woman's fingernail raked it. Huh? Where? Hey, his locket's gone. Locket? Yeah. This old guy wore a locket? Yeah, I seen it on him yesterday when the cops hauled off that redhead from upstairs. This old guy was shaving, and he came out in the hall without his shirt on to watch, and I seen the locket around his neck. What did it look like? It was a little square one on a gold chain. Now it ain't there. Hmm. Ripped off and in a hurry. That much old gold's not worth murder, even in this backwash. Baby, what do you use for closets? Closets? Are you mm. kidding? In this dump, you hang your stuff on the plumbing and like it. Why? Uh, well, then there's no place here that six big silver goblets could be hiding, I guess. Couldn't hide a shot glass in this joint. Not for long, anyway. Well, the old boy traveled light. There's nothing here but... What? Uh, hey, what'd you find? Hmm? What'd you find? Oh, oh, this newspaper story on the table. Torn out of the day before yesterday's paper, it says. 
Nelson Root, wealthy Beverly Hills broker, dies in a freak car smasher. Root is survived by his wife, former showgirl Evelyn Lansing. Now, what do you suppose that old guy was saving that for? To have sold his shoes with, maybe? Oh, sure. Now, look, as long as you got your brain in gear, tell me where I can find that guy who ran out of here. Chalky? Yeah. Hey, listen, mister, I don't want to get mixed up in this. I just live here and I... Come back here. You're already mixed up in it. That chalky's awful hard, mister. I wouldn't want to cross Now, him. listen, that old man there was murdered, remember? It's for keeps. You tell me here and now or the cops down at headquarters. Come on, where does he live? I, I don't know for sure. I think I heard once he's got a shack in the alley behind some warehouse over on San Pedro Street. Which warehouse? I don't know. Honest, I don't know. I... Hey, you might find out at Dooley's Diner. I think he shoots craps over there. Okay. Thanks, baby. And do yourself another favor before you cool off. Call the police. <laughs> It took a solid hour of devious back alley trails before I finally broke down the intimidated loyalty of the Skid Row Brotherhood with a well-placed $10 bill and got a bona fide lead. The thick fog that crawled along the alley. Chalky's shack had all the welcome home look of a wet gutter. It was wedged in under the hulking concrete base of an overpass like, like dirt under a giant fingernail. Sick yellowish light oozed out through a single tiny window, too murky to see into. I did the next best thing and hoped that he was alone inside. Who's there? Who is it? I, uh, I got a tip for you, Chucky. Dooley sent me. It's about the Johns. They're after you. Cops? Hey, wait a minute. What's the tip, fellow? What? Hey. Hey, where are you? Right here, Chucky. Now stay where you are, Buster. I'll kick your head off. Hey. Hey, what's the idea? I want fast answers, Chucky. Nice straight ones. Wipe your knife to the old guy tonight. Knife to your... Hey, who are you? What's the idea? I want answers, not questions, Chalky. Why'd you do it? I didn't. I didn't kill him. I never used the ship. He was already dead when I went in there. I lifted that locket off to the old coot, that's all, so help me. Give me that locket. I ain't got it no more. Mom Murphy's got it now. I I hocked it already. She gave me three and a quarter on it. Look, I I got a buck left. If you want that, you, you can have it. You're lying grifter. You kill an old man to get the trinket for two cents. No, no, I didn't. I seen that guy with the big ears run out of the old coot's room, so I went up to wait take a, minute, a look. Wait a minute, guy with big ears? Yeah, he was a zoot suitor. I, I never seen him around before. I, I'd remember them flaps of his. Oh. He, he ran out of the old guy's joint in the big steam squad. Hey, now listen, buddy. He was the guy who done it, honest. Ain't no doubt about it. He was the. Hey, hey now wait a minute. You, uh, you ain't a friend of his, are you? He is again. No reason, unless he was telling me. Oh, now listen, buddy, no I never put the finger on the guy before in my life. But when it's protecting my own hide, I gotta do... Yeah, I could have been the finger. So long, Chalky, and drop dead. It was still foggy outside, but my own personal fog began to lift. Big ears must have been tailing me, overheard me on the phone, and got to the old man first. But why? Why the clipping that old man Cooper had about Nelson Root's accident? Nelson Root survived by a widow. A widow? Holy smoke! Callahan of the Daily Star gave me half a dozen pictures of Evelyn Lansing Root. From her early cheesecake days right on up to the role of widow in mourning. There was no doubt left. She was the lady in black, one of my client's dinner guests. By the time I'd driven through the fog out to Las Feliz again and up to Hanley's sprawled out house... I'd lined the whole business up to where it made a twisted kind of sense. There was nothing left to do but nub it in his lap. I found him in his study. Well, what's wrong, Marlowe? Maybe you better tell me. Tell you what. 
Did you find Cooper or didn't you? Sure. I found him. I found him dead. What? The old man is dead. You know perfectly well he's dead. Come on, Marlowe, sit down. Have a drink, you'll be. No, thanks. I've covered a lot of ground tonight, most of it pretty slimy. Led me in a big circle that started here and ends here, and now it's late. We're both fairly intelligent. Let's give each other a break, shall we? Go on. Let's suppose that a man was in love with a woman, a married woman, who was tired of her husband. So? So, uh, she and the man arranged for the husband to die in a freak, uh, accident. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And let's suppose a strange old geezer overheard them plan it and then disappeared. Oh, that's rough, rough. I imagine they'd have to find him and shut him up, wouldn't they? Or he'd blackmail him to death. Possibly. And how do you suppose they'd go about that, Hanley? Hire a private detective, maybe? Give him a song and a dance about a theft, a trumped-up story about some missing silver goblets, maybe? Maybe. Only, uh, he'd be much too reputable to do their killing. Yeah, so they'd hire a professional killer, one with big ears, to follow the detective. And when the old man was located, the killer would step in and go to work with a knife. And then vanish completely, because he'd be a good professional man. Well, Hanley? Well, Marlowe? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's a, that's a great yarn. Yeah, but a little fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, utterly. <laughs> oh, good boy, that's the way I figured. Too weird to take seriously. Only I'm going to make it stick. Marlowe, you try to embarrass me with a crackpot theory like that, and I'll make you the laughing stock of this state, do you hear? I'll have you hooted right out of the business, because you don't have one shred of proof, Marlowe, and you'll never be able to get one, and what's more, you know it, don't you? Don't get your hands off me, Hanley! Sure. <laughs> oh, come on, Phil, come on, come on. Uh, let's have that drink now, and then you go on home and forget all about this, huh? Sure, <laughs> Oh, after all, the old jerk was just a skid road drifter. He didn't belong in any place. Who'll ever miss him? He was nobody, Phil. Get it? <laughs> Mr. Nobody. He's no law, so let's just forget him. Marlo! Marlo, wait a minute! Marlo, come back here! I had to get out. What made it even worse to us that I knew he had me. I couldn't even begin to prove the first word of what I knew was the truth. I couldn't sleep with it either. That was why an hour later I leaned against the lamppost back on Skid Row again and looked across a lifeless intersection through the eddying fog at the gaunt flop house where the old man had died. Well, well, well. A wayfaring stranger in the night. Hiya, pal. Beat it. Wait a minute, wayfaring stranger. Couldn't you accommodate me to the extent of a match or would that break your back? Here. Keep him. Thanks. Why don't you go home, pal? Hmm? Nothing happens here on Cooper Street after 2 in the a.m. <laughs> As a matter of fact, nothing happens anywhere anymore. Cooper Street. Cooper. That's one right out of the book. I'll bet 50 bucks on it. Nine out of ten, they'll take the name of a street. Huh? Who? Never mind. You live around here? You're kidding. Where's Ma Murphy's pawn shop? Hey, easy. Watch the lapels, pal. Well, come on. Where is it? Ma's joined us three blocks down on Filbert, downstairs, middle of the block. But there's no romance there, pal. I still got the good notion to call the cops. The idea. Getting me out of a warm bed in the middle of the night to give you a look at a cheap little locket. And all on a dizzy hunch, you said. Yeah, a wild one. You know the locket I mean, Ma. Come on, try it out. Well, that'll do you no good anyway, sonny. Can't sell it to you for 30 days yet. The law, you know. Yeah, sure, but you've been waking at the law so long, you're blind in one eye, Ma. <laughs> Is that so? 
Well, here you are. See, is it hot, Sonny? I'll know in a minute. It's the inside. I want to see if it's... Oh. What is it, Sonny? Is something the matter? Yeah, my hunch paid off, Ma. It's hot, all right. Hot enough to burn a guy to death. Here's my card. I'm taking this along. What? Now, well, hold on a minute, you. Hey, stop. I'll call the cops. Don't bother, honey. I'll call him myself. The lights were still on in Earl Hanley's study, so I pulled over and parked on the street and went up the walk on foot. And as I moved to the door, the fog slid around me in thick swirls. When Hanley answered, his face was hard and ugly. He had a gun in his hand. Our business is over with, Marlowe. Not quite, Hanley. What do you want? I got a tag for our fantastic little Just Suppose story. You're either drunk or stupid, Marlowe. I warned you once, now beat it. Not till you've heard my punchline, Hanley. It goes like this. Suppose a wife died after 40 years of marriage and left her husband alone. A lonely, lost old man who's mellowed with the years. Suppose he doesn't have much time left himself and he knows it, but he's got an obsession. An old unhappiness he wants to set straight. He wants to see a fella, not cause any trouble. Just be around where he can look at him now and then. Come on, get to the point. Sure, this is the point, Hanley. Huh? Here. Here, take it. Where did you get this locket, Marlowe? Where, where? Just suppose it has your picture in one side and your mother's in the other. What then? I, I gave this locket to my mother when I was a kid. Where did you get it? Come on, tell me. It came from around the neck of a harmless, sentimental old man who was stabbed to death tonight by a hired killer. But... He'd never have turned you in or blackmailed you, Hanley. Because that old man was your father. I, you, I, I had my own father killed. I, I, I ordered my own father's death. I didn't know it. Yeah. Mr. Nobody, remember? Come on, Hanley, give me the gun. We can go now. Hanley went quietly. All the way, he kept a little locket clenched in his fist. But as I led him up the stairs of police headquarters, he broke loose long enough to shatter both his hands against the marble pillar. He wound up in a straitjacket. But it didn't matter much because when they picked up Evelyn Root, the lady in too much black, she filled in the rest of the story, including a lead to Big Ears. When it was over and I was sitting outside in my car, alone in the fog that pressed close against the windows... I could see nothing of the city. Nothing but the soft, swimming white mist which hid the black outlines of Skid Row. <laughs> Funny thing, you know. Some people can get out of Skid Row, but Skid Row will never get out of some people. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Sanville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Bill Boucher, Vivi Janis, Verna Felton, Edgar Berrier, Peter Leeds, Nestor Paiva, and Paul Dubov. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time there were five masks. One for greed, one for cowardice, one for cruelty, and one for deceit. And they all covered a murder. 
But it was the fifth mask that really counted because it uncovered the killer. For some easy-to-listen-to music on Sunday afternoons, be sure to hear those favorites, the Symphonette and the Coraliers, which return to CBS this Sunday afternoon. The Symphonette brings you musical favorites from the lighter classics, played by a group of outstanding instrumentalists. The Coraliers sing rousing marches, popular songs of the day, and familiar music of the past. Hear the Symphonette and the Coraliers this Sunday and every Sunday afternoon on most of these same CBS stations. To hear each and every star, leave your dials where they are, cause this is CBS, the star's address. Yes, CBS, the star's address. Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, where next week you will hear Philip Marlowe and hour and a half later Eastern Daylight Saving Time on the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Fifth Mask. Brother, am I glad to see you. You are Philip Marlowe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm Marlowe. Well, come on in. You're, uh, not exactly what I expected, Phil. No? Mm-mm. I didn't realize private detectives came in the deluxe edition. You'd like a drink, wouldn't you? Now, look, when you called me a few minutes ago, it was strictly panic because your life was in danger, Miss Barr. Vivian now you... will do, Phil. Yeah, well, okay, Vivian. What's happened in the meantime? Happened? Nothing. Why? Well, you seem pretty well balanced for somebody on the edge of being a homicide statistic. I'm doing my best to hang on to myself, that's all. Oh. But now that you're here, I can breathe again. You just sit down, won't you, over there? I'll fix the drinks. Uh-huh. We're going to get along fine, Phil, I can tell. Yeah, well, could be. There. Now we can be more comfortable. Your health, Phil. Your health is supposed to be the point, baby. You said a man threatened your life. Yes, a man named Fred Sears. A character I used to know. He was hurt in a hotel fire six months ago. Oh. <laughs> Must have been his head. He thinks he wants to kill me, and he's come to town to do it. But now that you're here... I, uh, I suppose he's got reasons, huh? Do they matter? Yeah, yeah. To me, at least. I like to know which end of the stick is short before I grab. Well, I'm not even sure myself. I only knew Sears briefly. Here, here's his picture, Marlowe. Mm -hmm. Oh, the whole affair was stupid. So you brought it to me instead of the police, huh? 
I brought it to you because I need private help and I'm willing to pay for it. Pay very well, I might add. Uh. Oh, look, Phil, you don't have to bother about the reasons why. Just see that Fred Sears leaves me alone tonight. It shouldn't be hard. Is your drink all right? Delicious. Too bad I can't stay and finish it. What? Oh, Marla, wait. You mean you won't help me? Not on guesswork, baby. But don't you realize my life's in danger? I'm scared. Oh, sure, sure. Speechless. <laughs> you can get yourself another boy, Vivian. Woods are full of guys with no curiosity at all. Oh, Marlo, please be reasonable. Good night, baby. I had no doubt that a guy named Fred Sears wanted to kill Vivian Barr. And that she was genuinely afraid of him, but... I also had no doubt that working for her without all the facts was like playing blind man's buff with the front end of a jet plane. Sooner or later, you were a cinch to get sucked in. So I drove off the hill toward the Sunset Strip again and prepared to forget it and go home. Until my rearview mirror told me that I'd picked up a tail. I wagged it back and forth across Hollywood for 20 minutes without losing it. Then I stopped at a quiet corner bar in my neighborhood, went in the front door and straight on through to the alley and then around to the front again. I got back in time to see the man who'd been following me get out of his car and head for the door. It was one Mutt Pomeroy, a sleazy ex-comrade in arms who had his private license revoked for assorted malpractices a year ago. I waited till he was almost up to the entrance before I stepped out where he could see me. I... Oh, well, Phil Marlowe. <laughs> what do you say, kid? How, uh, how's business? I keep smiling. Sure, sure you would. Uh... Buy a drink, I don't suppose. What's on your crummy little mind? Take it Let's e have it. Easy, Marlo. Take the hands off. What's <coughs> the right. idea? You've been tailing me just to keep in practice. What do you want? Okay, okay, hot shot. I figured maybe you'd appreciate a little cooperation. For instance, you tell me why Vivian Barr wants a private peeper, and I'll tell you something more than worth your while. Well? I thought your license was dead, Pomeroy. Yeah, it is, but I'm not. I still got eyes and ears and a mouth that I like to keep well fed. Now, look, I can help you plenty in this case, Marlowe. What do you say, kid? Get together? I didn't take the case. You what? That's right. If I catch you tailing me once more, Mud, I'll tie a can to you. Now beat it. Yeah, well, let me know when you need a hand, Marlowe. Right across your kisser. Ah, be it ever so humble. It's, oh, no. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Oh, Phil, I've been calling ever since you left. This is Vivian Barr. Now, look, baby, I oh, told Marlo, you... Oh, listen to me. I've got to have your help. I'll tell you the truth, all of it. Anything you want to know, only come back, please. Oh, will you listen? I'm trying uh, to tell I've you. I've seen someone outside here, Marlowe. I'm almost sure it's Fred Sears. Hurry, will you? I'll tell you everything. Hurry. Three things I can never resist. Beer with a head on it, moonlight, and a beautiful dame. So I headed again for the parking terrace at Vivian's apartment house and made it in about 15 minutes. I was out of my car and halfway across the terrace before I noticed the changes. First, her apartment was dark. Second, a man who had just pulled a key from a front door lock froze when he saw me and then turned and bolted through a clump of hibiscus and cornered himself in an enclosed patio. He tried to make it over the wall, but the second time he fell back, I nailed him! No, no, please, let me go. I gotta get away from You're here. You're trying it the hard way, Buster, believe me. It'll be easier by way of Vivian's apartment first. Come on, on your feet. Now, oh, who are you? I'm Douglas Peck. Douglas what? Just Douglas. Okay, just Douglas. We'll also straighten that one out inside. Go on, open the door. No, I... It's locked. Sure, sure it's locked. Take the keys out of your pocket and unlock it. Hurry up. 
Who are you? Name's Marlowe. Go on inside. No, no, please, Marlowe. Listen, I... I can't go in there again. What's the matter? Afraid of the dark? Go on! Turn on the light. All right, then, all right? There. Vivian Barr's eyes were still open. But all the life had gone out of them. She'd slid half off the blue velvet divan onto the floor, and a gleaming gold satin she wore was stained red by a dark, stiffening smear on her chest. Her purse was open on the coffee table, and spilled out of it was a note. Addressed, Dear Vivian, and signed, Fred Sears. What is it, Marlowe? What are you looking at? One good reason why Vivian Barr ended up like that. Here, read it. Dear Vivian, the broken back you handed me six months ago wasn't as hard to take as the broken promises. Count on seeing me real soon. Fred Sears. Yeah. Now, Douglas, the digress, assuming you didn't kill her and it was this Sears, what was your connection? I was just a friend of hers. Business associate. Well-heeled business associate, judging by your wardrobe. She mentioned your type, but not your name. Let's get on with that, shall we? Marlo, listen, I, I had no idea that Vivian was mixed up in it. Marlo, look. Huh? There at the window at Sears. Kill the light. Keep down, Douglas. I'll be right back. Sears ducked as I ran for the door, and when I got outside, he was rounding the corner and heading for the enclosed patio. He was up on the wall by the time I got close enough to grab for him. No, you don't. Why? caught me in the side of the head. I wound up on my back with nothing but the torn-off pocket from his jacket in my hand and a crumpled pack of cigarettes and a slip of paper on the ground with a phone number. I picked it up and started back to Vivian's apartment in time to hear a car door slam and see just Douglas, scared stiff, crouched behind the steering wheel of a step-down Hudson. A second later, car and all were gone in a funnel of dust. Well, I couldn't lose much more, so I went back into the house to use the phone. Los Angeles Morning Star. Society editor, please. One moment. Okay. Society desk, Miss Ludlow speaking. Hiya, Corey. Phil Marlowe. Phil, darling, how are you? <laughs> Gee, it's been a long time, mister. I haven't seen you since... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, honey, I need some fast help. Crashing somebody's party, Marlowe. Could be, but it's strictly business. Now, can you give me a rundown on a phone number? Crestview 54124. 54124? Yeah. Just a minute, lover. Okay, sweetie. Oh, yeah, Phil. That's the old J.G. McKay mansion, 910 Mission Drive. Uh-huh. His niece, Celia McKay, has the place now. She married up with a guy named Paxton last fall, I think. She has oodles of money. Any help? I'll let you know. Thanks a lot, baby. Before I left, I called Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide and told him what happened. He said he'd put out a call for Fred Sears and suggested I keep in touch. After that, I drove to Beverly Hills. The McKay Mansion at 910 Mission Drive dominated the rows of bowing trees that lined the long, curving driveway like a dowager queen presiding at court. When I rang the bell beside a carved mahogany front door big enough for an airplane hangar, it was the butler who finally opened it for me. (laughs) It was all he could manage. Yes, sir. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I'd like to see the head of the house, please. Uh, Have you an appointment, sir? No, this is a courtesy call so far. There's been a murder, Buster. Now, please get Mr. Paxton, Celia McKay, Paxton, or any reasonable facsimile thereof, huh? Never mind, Cartwright. You can run along. I'll take care of this, whatever it is. She was, uh, friendly. Red-headed and hefty, but wore a dress so well-draped it would have made a Notre Dame tackle look good. It was all held together at the neckline by a big, dazzling brooch made up of items on a Mardi Gras motif, and each covered with enough jewels to retire a family of five. Except for a space in the center, shaped like a mask which was dull, black, and empty. 
I must have been staring because that's where she picked up the conversation. If you've finished making your estimate now, Mr. Marlowe, maybe we can get down to business. I'm that reasonable facsimile you mentioned, Mona Paxton, Celia's sister-in-law. Oh, and Mr. Paxton's your brother, huh? Same thing. Yeah, well... You said something about a murder, I believe? Mm, that's right. A woman named Vivian Barr. And is that supposed to mean something to the members of this household? Maybe we'd better ask them. I don't think so, Mr. Marlowe. We're all quite busy here Now, look, Mona, I followed a lead that started at the body of a dead woman, ended here at this house. You people can talk to me now or the police in a few minutes. Make up your mind, fast. Police? What about the police? Mona, what is this? Excuse me, my dear. I'm sorry. I'd hoped you wouldn't be bothered by the... by Mr. Marlowe here. In his opinion, we're all murderers or something. I see. And why do you say that, Mr. Marlowe? I don't. It isn't quite that bad. Then specifically, how bad is it, if you don't mind? I don't mind at all. I'm looking for a man named Fred Sears in connection with the killing of my client, Vivian Barr. I'm here because there's a definite tie with somebody in this house. Now, at this point, I'm still asking for cooperation. This has gone far enough. It's preposterous. Mr. Marlowe, until you mention their names, I never heard of either of those people. Mona? No. They're still my husband, Mr. Marlowe. Dear, will you come out to the door, please? going on? What's the matter? There's a person here I want you to meet. Mr. Marlowe, my husband, Mr. Paxton. Why, how, how do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm doing better, Mr. Paxton. Oh. Douglas, Mr. Marlowe here wants to know if the names Vivian Barr or Fred Sears mean anything to you. Why, I, I don't think so. No. No, they don't. Why? You may leave now, Mr. Marlowe. We've, we've given you all the cooperation we can. If you come back, you'd better have a warrant with you. Okay, Celia, I will. Because one of you three is a liar. And I can prove it. So if you want to talk it over before I call in the cops, I'll listen for a while. Hey, Cartwright. Yes, sir? You called, sir? Yeah, you look like a fairly honest man. Where can I get a good cup of public coffee around here? Oh, why, there's a little shop two blocks down, sir. Thanks. And to you, Cartwright, good night. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Sunday, September 10th. Note it well, or you'll miss a whole lot of laughs. For that's the day Jack Benny checks in again at CBS The Star's address. Yes, this Sunday is the day Jack, Mary, Dennis, Phil, Don, and Rochester return for another great season of top-ranking comedy. Be sure you're on hand this Sunday and every Sunday when CBS brings you the one and only Jack Benny Show. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Fifth Mask. When the two-ton front door of the Paxton home closed behind me, I dropped the cocky attitude quicker than a chorus girl lets her stay smile go when she hits the wings. I knew that I was still a long way from finding Fred Sears. And ten minutes later, when I was in a corner booth at the plush Beverly Hills version of a one-armed joint Cartwright had suggested, I began to worry about it. Until the front door swung open and admitted Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. She threw a stern eye in a sharp semicircle that nearly sliced the place in two and then bore it down on me. Mr. Marlowe, I want to talk to you. What do you mean by... Why don't by... you sit down, Mrs. Paxton? Well, I... Very well. Now, Mr. Marlowe... Coffee, Mrs. Paxton? No, no, thank you. Mm. Mr. Marlowe, specifically, what did you mean when you said that one of the three of us was lying? Specifically that, Mrs. Paxton. I don't think I could have been more blunt, but I'll try. 
I'm after Fred Sears and anybody or anything that can lead me to him. Now you, why are you here, Mrs. Paxton? Well, it's, uh, Mr. Marlowe, it, it, uh... Hard to say, maybe? Hard like I'm suspicious of my husband's connection with all this, Mr. Private Detective. Will you go to work for me? Is that it? Oh, no. No, not that. Mm -hmm. But, Mr. Marlowe, I'm no fool. I know that I'm a plain-looking rich woman who loves her husband. And I... Well, sometimes men are silly. And if there is anything, I... Mrs. Paxton, I can't go to work for you. I don't take that kind of a job. Besides, I'm already working on your problem insofar as it concerns the late Vivian Barr. I don't understand that. You say you're looking for Fred Sears. But not overlooking anything else, Mrs. Paxton. Like the outside chance that Sears didn't kill Vivian Barr. I didn't see it happen, you know. It could have been somebody else. Who? You. What? I... After all, you just implied a good motive. No. No, I, I didn't. I, I only gave you a suspicion. A dark, ugly thought I'm ashamed I ever had. That's all. And I didn't kill that woman, Mr. Marlowe. I know you didn't. It was only bait, Mrs. Paxton. I hoped you'd snap at it and come back with an answer that would get me to Sears. Mr. Marlowe, I never heard of these people before tonight. I know, that's what you said. But you see, Mrs. Paxton, even as you, I too sometimes have dark, ugly thoughts that I'm ashamed of. Only in my case, it's business. And tonight, the business is Vivian Barr's murder. Good night, Mrs. Paxton. <laughs> Hello. Comfortable, Mr. Paxton? Marlowe, please. My wife may see us. Get in and drive away. Hurry. All right. Just for size, hurry it is. Now, Marlowe, tell me. Does Celia know? About Vivian? Hard to say, Paxton. Look, I've got to tell you the truth. Don't bother, man, about town. It sticks out like a sore thumb on a hitchhiker. You like it easy, you like it smooth. Your wife was one, Vivian the other. It's not a new story, Paxton. But believe me, Marlowe, I couldn't help myself. I've learned my lesson. Marlowe, would money say... Fifty dollars now, more later. Would that help you forget what you know? Fifty bucks? Well? <laughs> you didn't love Vivian Barr. You hated her, didn't you? I hated... How did you know that? A cheap bribe you just made. Indiscreet gentlemen with their backs against the wall don't offer peanuts now and more later unless they're broke. You could be broke, Paxton. If, for example, Vivian was blackmailing you out of every cent of your allowance, good enough? She was rotten. Rotten enough to kill? Kill? Are you crazy? My lord was Sears. Maybe. I didn't see him do it. You had a good reason. He had a better one. Sears was taken in just like I was. When he met Vivian, he had a few thousand dollars, and she fell in love with every one of them. You said a better reason, Paxton. And I'm getting to it. I came into Vivian's life after Sears was hurt saving her in that hotel fire. Saving her? Yes. I didn't know that. I thought he was hurt, period. Yes, that's all the papers got. But he was injured because he rushed into the fire to save Vivian. She couldn't afford to have it known that she was at that particular hotel at that particular time. She told me so herself. You didn't quit even then, huh? I couldn't, Marlowe. I wasn't strong enough. Then later, when I was, she wouldn't let me. Not without paying. And that's the whole story, Marlo. Mm -hmm. Unless you're still holding back a lead on Sears. But why should I? Because if you're it, Paxton, not Sears, you've nothing left but the slim hope that Sears, who knows he's framed, will be shot running away from the police. No, you're wrong, Marlo. That's not it. All right, then try this. If I am wrong and Sears is still the one we want, he could also be after you, Paxton. You know, you're a pivot man in that triangle, too. What? Why? I never thought of that. What am I going to do? Grab a cab and go home and hide in the cookie jar. Marlo, don't be facetious. My life Relatively is... safe, Paxton. He's only trying to trick you into spilling something on Sears. Oh. Then you no longer think that I killed Vivian? I didn't say that. 
So long, Paxton. My apartment was only a few minutes from Beverly Hills, so I decided to call the police and fill them in. Also, a little all-alone straight drinking might burn the bad taste out of my mouth. But when I was in the hall there, I knew it was going to be a little while before I got a chance to do either one. After all, there was still a Paxton to go. Mona, the lady with the beautiful Mardi Gras brooch, and the not-so-beautiful mind for business. I've been waiting for you, Mr. Marlowe. That figures. Come on in. I'll get the lights. You don't seem surprised you expected me. Yeah, as much as the others. Already huddled with your brother and your sister-in-law. Have a seat. No, thanks. Mr. Marlowe, I'm going to come right to the point. That's a switch. Want a drink? No. Do you want $1,000? Mr. Marlowe, I said... I heard you. Yeah. Also, Miss Paxton, I've heard a lot tonight about all I can take. I'll make it fast, will you? All right. The thousand is yours, Mr. Marlowe, if you'll do one thing. When you catch up with this Sears, if you haven't already done so... I haven't. Keep my brother's name out of this, that's all. Well, it's a little too much. Also, you're a little easy, Mona. Your brother isn't worth covering up for. That's not news, and it's beside the point. The thousand is to help me, not him. I've spent five very difficult years getting the rights to a cosmetic formula that can't be beat. The point, Mona, the point. All right, the point, Mr. Marlowe, is that all I need now is backing. Just yesterday, I got the promise of it. $150,000 worth of promise from my sister-in-law. This is Celia McKay Paxton, and I'll lose that promise, Marlowe. Celia gives my brother his walking papers, and she will if she finds him out. Will you take the money, Marlowe? No. No, will I go out of my way to whisper in Celia's ear? You're practically safe, Mona. Practically? Who else is there? Sears. If the police take him alive, there's a good chance to make a lot of embarrassing statements about your brother killing his girl and... You expect someone. Oh. Unless the police are tired of waiting to hear from me. I shouldn't be seen here. Not if you're going to keep Doug's name out of this. Easy, honey. Get in there. The kitchen. Oh, yes. Thanks, Marlo. Thanks a lot. Okay, coming. Keep your shirt on. I... Oh, no. Yeah, well, didn't expect to see little old Mutt Pomeroy so soon again, eh, kid? Mind if I come in? Very much. What do you want, Pomeroy? To show my wares, Phil boy. You know, like the jewel tea man. Skip the funnies. What is it? Fred Sears. I know where he is. You sure about that? Sure, like I don't take $3 bills. I followed him tonight when he got away from you. All right, come in. Hey. Nice place, Phil. What's your price, Mutt? 200 I'll pay one, the address. The money. Okay. Here. 15 16 80, 90, 90, 100. Yeah. Thanks, Phil, boy, thanks. The address says 31 Bayfront Drive, Santa Monica. It's an all-alone beach joint, kind of neat. Belongs to a friend of Sears who's out of town. Oh, he's using his car, too. I overheard him explaining to a neighbor. Yeah. Good night, Marlo. See you around, huh, kid? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Pomeroy. Yeah? Yeah. What is it, Phil? Two questions. Uh-huh. First? Your connection with all this, what is it? Oh, a hunch that I could pick up a little extra. You see, I spotted Pax and I with that Vivian babe once, and well, I knew who he was. So also, I knew who his wife was, so I figured... Yeah, I know how you figured. Okay, but you said two questions, kid. The other. This! <coughs> Whatever made you think I do business with a louse like you! <sighs> Marlowe, he's unconscious? Yeah. Ever saw you here? Your mailbox will get nothing but extortion notes for the next six months. So get out now. All right, Marlowe, but won't he ruin everything anyway? Don't worry, Mona. I'll convince him one way or another. Yeah. Let's see now. Hey, Marlowe, you crossed me. Sure, I'll do it every time, Pomeroy. We're conflicting personalities. 
Police headquarters. I'd like to speak to Detective Lieutenant Matt. Holy cow. Hello. Police headquarters. Hello. Police. Never mind. Pomeroy, that little hunk of jewelry there on the rug. Just fell out of your pocket when I frisked you, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure it did. So what? So before I beat you senseless, get up and tell me what you got it. Come on, where'd you oh, lift it? Hey, Come on, Pomeroy. Get your hands off. All right. I found it at that Vivian Barr's joint. It was on the floor and it sparkled like dough. She was dead, so I figured it might as well... Thanks, Pomeroy. You told me all I want to know. Don't wait up. (laughs) Outside, I piled into my car and drove fast for the beach house at 31 Bayfront Drive. Hoping hard all the way that either I was making a fat mistake or if I was right... I was going to be on time. All told, it was about 40 minutes later when I screeched to a stop in front of the place and found it lights out and deserted. I was ready to start cheering until... From the closed garage that was tucked under a wing of the house, I heard it. A car motor running as in suicide by carbon monoxide. The big double doors were locked, but around on the side, there was a window. In another minute, I was in and over to Fred Sears. He was slumped over the front wheel, his face the color of wet ashes. I cut the motor, then dragged him out of the place by a back door that led to a patio. There I stretched him out on the ground and took a good look. A long look that left no doubt in my mind. I turned away from him when I heard a woman's footsteps on the walk outside near the window I'd broken. It was Mona Paxton. Marlo. Marlo, what is it? Marlo, are you all right? Yeah, but don't come back here, Mona. It's not a very pretty sight. It's Sears. See? Yeah, I dragged him out here. He left the motor running, carbon monoxide. Oh, oh no, what a... Just a terrible way to go. No worse than Vivian Barr. How'd you turn up here, Mona? Follow me? Yes. Because I was worried about that man in your apartment. I wanted to ask you who he was. When I took off coattail flying, it looked like something important, huh? Yes, it certainly did. And it certainly was. Yeah. Well, I'd better get through to the police now. There must be a phone inside. You can go wait at my car, huh? Quit shaking. After this, you haven't got a thing to worry about. Uh, business, I mean. Yes, I know, but I just can't start smiling. I'll be at the car, Marlon. Homicide, Lieutenant Matthews speaking. Marlowe Matthews. Out in Santa Monica, 31 Bayfront Drive. I've got Vivian Barr's killer. Fred Sears? Great. Just hold it, Phil Mooney. Hey, wait a minute. Call Santa Monica, Matthews. get a car out to 31 Bayfront you... Drive. Hey, path. Matthews. Hey, Marlo, nice work. I'm glad now, I let you Now, will you wait know. a minute, Matthews? It doesn't play that way. What? What do you mean, Phil? Not Sears? No. It's a woman, Mona Paxton. Sister to Douglas Paxton, a guy married and playing around with Vivian Barr. Mona killed Vivian because Vivian was blackmailing her brother, and that, in turn, was about to ruin a business deal that meant a lot to her. An awful lot. Yeah, it must have. Yeah. What about Sears? Does he still tie in? Sure he does. She found out where Sears was hiding, which is out here at the same time I did. But she got a head start on me at the point of a gun, set him up in a closed garage in what was supposed to be suicide. Oh, he's dead, huh? No, he's fine. I was lucky enough to get here in time. He's resting out on the patio, breathing well. See you, Matthews. Everything's taken care of, Marlowe? Mm-hmm. Just about, Mona. Well, the police will, uh... Correction. The police are here. 
Yeah, yeah. Doesn't take him long, does it, huh? No. I've a one him. Glad of it. Just as soon get all this over with. You too, I guess. Yeah. Me too, Mona. I got away from it all as soon as I could. But I didn't go home. I drove out to a spot I knew nearby, a cliff edge, where the only sounds were a couple of seagulls who couldn't sleep in the ocean a hundred feet below, crashing on the rocks. And then I took a second look at the little light of Mud Pomeroy had picked up in Vivian Barr's apartment. A collection of tiny stones, diamonds, emeralds, rubies, all in the shape of a small mask. A mask that I knew would fit in place exactly over an empty spot on Mona Paxton's Mardi Gras brooch. The proof that Mona had been to Vivian's place. Yeah, a little mask. We all wear them one way or another. We've all got something to hide. Maybe that's what's wrong with people, huh? They all think they've got to hide from each other. And from themselves. Yeah, so... I threw the little mask into the ocean and then... Then I went home. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Senville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Francis Robinson, Betty Lou Gerson, Anne Stone, Olin Soule, Jay Novello, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a little man with big heels tried to run over me. A giant in a warehouse nearly cost me my life. And a treacherous blonde almost buried me at sea. All that for a client who couldn't pay me a cent. <laughs> but on whose behalf they were paid in full. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, where you enjoy the contented hour every Sunday night at the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>